Alright, so we are um, looking at Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, where um, this godly man is, prays, Two things have I required of thee, De- deny me not them not before I die, remove far from me vanity and lies, give me neither poverty nor riches, Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. And so this is something that is very, very close to this man's heart, and he's praying that God would deliver him from, keep him from, and that is the vanity and lies. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these vanities and lies that, uh, though not mentioned here in Proverbs, they are mentioned in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so that's um, where we have been, is in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've already talked about the vanity of human wisdom. And we discover from the vanity of human wisdom that those folks who claim to be all wise... Uh, they either tell us that uh, we don't know, or life is nothing more than a big hallucination, a trick of the mind, or that we can never know. But of course we know that we can know because we know the all-knowing God. There's a lot of no's in that, isn't there? So because, so because we know God, we can know uh, the wisdom that uh, comes from God. 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's what these guys are operating from, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So we can know, it is possible to know. Then we looked at human labor, and that ceaseless labor that begs the question of what is the use of it all? What is the value of everything that I'm doing? What is the eternal uh, outcome of this toil of mine? You know, if I die, then I leave behind something to somebody who may not appreciate it. And I borrowed the analogy of of the can of peaches, where the man who does not know God has been given the gift of the can of peaches, and all he can do is examine it, shake it, weigh it, but he can never open it up to enjoy the fruits of it. Those who have Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who know God, those who have the Word of God, not only do they have the can of peaches, but they also have the can opener. So they're able to partake of that fruit within that can, enjoy what is God has given to them as far as life is concerned. We also looked at uh, human purpose. And uh, human purpose, of course, is folks chasing after their dreams, chasing after their dreams. And we look at when those dreams fail, or even if you fulfill your dream, is that all there is to life? Is that all there is to life? So dreams can be very, very elusive. And then we looked at human rivalry, that dog-eat-dog world that uh, so many people live according to. Uh, And they believe that it's the stepping on the little man is how you get ahead in life. Of course, if we know, if you know God, you know that that's not the way to work. It works. Uh, If you want to become great in the kingdom of God, you become that little man in order to serve others and to glorify God. Right? So that, we looked at that. So what we're going to look at now, hopefully I get through these next three, we're going to look at the vanity of human avarice, the vanity of human fame, and the vanity of human insatiety. I think is how that word is, is pronounced. So turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to look at the, the vanity of human avarice or greed. Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 7. If someone would please read verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity, yea, it is a sword prevail. Yeah, one man said that greed is the bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Greed is, you know, it's just, it's just, it never seems to be satisfied. Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 1.8, he says, All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Uh, this brings me back to that fellow who, um, in the Gospels, who had that great harvest, right? So what did he decide to do? He was going to tear down all of his barns and build bigger, bigger barns, right? So he could enjoy the fruits of his harvest. But what happened to that man? That very night he died, didn't he? That very night he, he died, and the Bible referred to that man as a fool. Um, so, you know, human avarice, greed, you know, that pursuit after stuff, uh, that's, a, that's a vanity. That's, a, that's also a lie in life. That's also a lie of life. Now, I'm going to hit on preachers pretty hard. Uh, I'm going to hit on preachers pretty hard. Uh, sadly, there are many, many preachers who have embraced the vanity of, of human avarice, the vanity of, of human pride. There are many preachers who claim to preach the love of God, but if you examine their lives and look at their lifestyles, really their love is not so much God, but the stuff. The stuff that they accumulate and get uh, from um, from their from their ministries, from their preaching. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. It, this is pretty recent, but a local preacher in our own area, in our own Kansas City area, um, he berated his congregation uh, because his congregation had pooled their resources together and they bought him a watch. It was an anniversary or something like that. And so they bought this, this preacher a, a watch. And so they presented it to him and uh, he spent the next hour berating his church and calling his congregation cheap and unappreciative because the gift, the watch that they gave him wasn't up to his standard. A Rolex or a Movar or some, I, I don't know, some, some watch. He had some watch in mind that he wanted. But he, he spent the next hour berating his church, his congregation, uh, claiming that they were cheap and unappreciative because he didn't like the, the watch that they gave him. I'm sorry, I have, I have issues with things like that. I have issues with things like that. Huh? And they sat there and took it for They sat there and took it for an hour. Well, they gave it back to him because he put out a retraction video. He did. And the main thing was, 
Oh, they didn't like what I said, so I'll say I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. exactly. Well, you guys, okay, so you, you know the example, right? But that's not an isolated example. Sadly, that is not an isolated example. Uh, there are those who chase after money and wealth, never know the love of a wife, never know the love of a family, never know the love of, of associates. Uh, one rich man, I, I was as I was researching this lesson, he says, I'm not chasing love, I'm chasing money. He says, love will find me, money will not. So that's what his pursuit in life is. That's what his pursuit in life is. Uh, there's a, uh, this individual spoken of here in Ecclesiastes 4.7. His whole life is the pursuit of wealth. He sacrifices relationships for obtaining that hard, cold cash. That hard, cold cash. That's what's important to him. He sacrifices comforts and, 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 and good in his pursuit of wealth. Instead of presenting himself a living sacrifice which is our reasonable service, he's offering himself on the altar of mammon as a burnt sacrifice. That's what he's sacrificing his life for. Uh, he lives for no one but himself. I know I've, I've used uh, John D. Rockefeller before, um, but he was asked one day, uh, how much money is enough? And then his answer was, just a bit more. Just a bit more. You know, at the peak of his wealth, John, John D. Rockefeller uh, uh, had, the, had the net worth of 1% of the entire U.S. economy. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. He owned almost 90% of all of the gas and oil industry in the country. That's fabulous. I mean, he would make folks like uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like poppers. That's how wealthy this man is. Uh, The truth that speaks against the vanity and the lie of human avarice is Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 37. For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is precious. Your soul is precious. But unfortunately, many people take their soul for granted. They don't consider it as as precious as God considers it precious. Uh, Men and women of this world who who relentlessly pursue after uh, wealth whose mind is stayed on wealth, uh, you know, they're, they're cheapening their own souls. They're cheapening their own souls. En- enough is never enough. There's always more to reach for. There's always more to be accumulated, to add with what all they have already accumulated. But just like Jesus said about this man, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? I mean, that old saying, we know what it says, you can't take it with you, is so true. It's so true. Ecclesiastes 6.2 says, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity and it is evil disease. You've got to ask yourself, why am I laboring to pursue this wealth? What is the purpose of it all? 
What is the purpose of it all? Howard Hughes, everybody remember who Howard Hughes was? Howard Hughes, at the time of his death, April 5th, 1976, was worth uh, $9.2 billion. Chump change in comparison to one's soul. $9.2 billion, yet the man had become a paranoid recluse uh, due to addiction to painkillers and paranoia and everything else that was going on. His autopsy reported that he was unkempt, having long hair and unclipped fingernails and toenails. His body was severely malnourished and covered in bed sores. This man was worth over $9 billion. It was also discovered that he had five broken off hypodermic needles in his arms. After much speculation and claims on many to be inheritors of Hughes' money in 1978, a Nevada court ruled the so-called Mormon will a forgery and officially declared that Hughes had died intestate, which means he died without a legal will. So where does all that money go? Where does all that money go? Intestate, I think is is how you pronounce it. Eventually, in 1985, almost 10 years after Hughes' death, $2.5 billion was distributed among 23 of his cousins. But the rest of the money? Yeah. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 5.15 and 16 says, As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. Again, you can't take it with you. And this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? We're born into this world naked, and guess what? We leave naked. We come in with nothing and we go out with nothing. If you're without Christ. Billy Graham said, Death reduces all men to the same rank. It strips the rich from his millions and the poor man from his rags. Death knows no age limits, no partiality. It is the thing that all men fear. I think Billy Graham was onto something there. Almost sounds biblical, doesn't it? Proverbs 15:16 says, "Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith." So folks, if you know Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, you are right now the richest person on this planet. Irregardless if you got $100 in your checking account or $100 million in your checking account. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're the richest individual walking on this planet. You know, the story of Howard Hughes is pretty sensational, but it happens all the time. There are countless, countless numbers of people who are dying just like Howard Hughes. Gathering all of this wealth, but yet in the end, showing nothing for it. The Lord's words are sure words for the godly man who acknowledged God in all his ways. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We don't seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that we can become rich on this planet, folks. But there is that promise. I mean, we went through that when we went through Proverbs a little bit. 
No, we, no, the true riches is where? Where is the true riches for us at? It's in heaven. Because those riches never rust, they never fade away, they never corrupt. They're always there. They're always there. The true currency of heaven is everlasting, while that on earth under the sun is fleeting like the wind. Right? Just like this dollar bill with wings on it. It, it evaporates, it goes away. It may be harnessed, but it's never really caught and kept. So that's the vanity of human avarice. Any comments or questions? Now, it's not sinful to have a lot of money. I'm not saying that. What is it with God? What is it he's always looking at in, in, in people? What is it with God that's number one issue? Heart attitude. Exactly, the heart attitude. That's the number one issue. So what is your heart attitude towards those things that God has given you? What is your heart attitude? Then you've got the vanity of human fame. I may be done early. What, somebody said no, he's not? Okay. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And when somebody's there, please read verses 13 through 16 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Okay, so we have the vanity of human fame. There is no end of all the people. There is no end of all the people, even all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Have you ever stopped and think, think about that? Just people born, living, and dying. Born, living, and dying. Born, living, and dying. Countless countless people born, living, and dying. You know, men will spend a lifetime for, what is it Andy Warhol said, 15 minutes of fame. 15 minutes of fame. It is the pursuit of their own glory that becomes the pursuit of their life. So all of those people churning through history, the pursuit of their own glory their own fame. To be acknowledged among their peers and admired by the masses with folks who succumb to this particular vanity of human fame. Uh, They believe that uh, to be uh, famous or to be uh, important or, or to be whatever, to be noticed is the whole purpose of life. I remember uh, my grandkids years and years ago were playing a, a um, I call them a video game, but I don't think that's what they're called really. But it's one of those electric games. And there was a little cartoon creature up in the corner that kept yelling, Look at me! Look at me! Look at me! 
There's a lot of people that live their lives like that. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. This is true with the worldling as well as with some of God's people. And again, I'm going to hit heavy on the preachers. I'm going to hit heavy on the preachers. There are preachers who desire the limelight of fame. There are preachers who desire the limelight of fame. Too, too many preachers have become sidetracked in their ministries in the pursuit of fame. In the pursuit of fame. Look at me. Look at me. They want to stand out from their peers. Uh, they want to have bigger churches. Bigger ministries. They want to be sought out as the next great conference speaker. You know, to gather the multitudes, to hear them speak, uh, to have folks flock around them like they're some sort of celebrity. Instead of being faithful, they're more about being famous. They're more about being famous. Again, in my research, I read an article that spoke about these particular preachers. They're now called influencers. They're influencers. Not preachers. Not preachers of the gospel. They're influencers. They're influencers and they rub shoulders with all sorts of celebrities. Selena Gomez, Chris Pratt. I don't even know who some of these people are. Uh, The Kardashians. uh, Justin Bieber or Bieber? Bieber. Yeah, they rub shoulders with these folks. You know, that's, this is the folks that they attract. Uh, their services are more like rock concerts than traditional worship services. You know, you go into some of these services, it's like walking into a rock concert. They'll put on a big show and then they'll give a little 10-minute talk. Give a little 10-minute talk. Uh, look into this research. You know, some of these guys have got hundreds and thousands of Instagram followers. Is there, is there still an Instagram? Okay. You, you can see how up to date I am on this stuff. So they've got hundreds and thousands of folks on, Insta, on Instagram. Uh, they're regularly photographed by the paparazzi. Uh, they go to TMZ, whatever that is, to respond to controversy. They receive luxury goods brands. There's preachers out there who wear $5,000 athletic shoes given to them with the mindset that, well, if, my, if Pastor so-and-so wears those, then I've got to have those too. So they're kind of like a walking billboard. This is what I've researched. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. So I'm not making anything up. You can check it out. Some years ago, it was a lot of years ago, I attended a a conference, a Bible conference, and there were several, kind of like what we have here, and there were several speakers at this conference, and there was this one particular famous preacher that was going to speak at this particular conference, and of course everybody flocked to hear this famous preacher, and so he walked into the place, you know, like, well anyway... I got to be careful. (laughs) Anyway, he was a bright and shining star as far as at that time Christian circles are concerned. So, okay, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be great. 
I've never, you know, I've never heard the guy. So I listened, and honestly, folks, I, maybe I'm too hard on the guy, but it sounded like he served us a, a plate of reheated beans. It was kind of f- flat. Really was kind of flat. Well, then there was another speaker in the conference. Just a regular Joe, nobody knew much about the guy. You know, some of these other speakers knew who he was. Wasn't very impressive. He didn't have the real nice suit on. And he gets up there. He wasn't flamboyant. He wasn't over the top. He gets up there and he opens up the Bible. And let me tell you something. This unknown, humble man preached the paint off the walls. Preached the paint off the walls. Why? Because he preached from the Spirit. He preached from the heart. He wasn't all about the celebrity status. He was all about glorifying Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, after he was done, you could hear a pin drop in that place. You could hear a pin drop in that place. Because he was more interested in not becoming famous, but being faithful to the Word of God. And that's where it's at. That's where the, that's where the real fame comes from, folks. That just shows that we're all influencers. Is that what it is? Yeah, we're all influencers of some, some sort. Good, good or bad. Well, maybe I'm looking at the word influencer in a, in, in a negative light. That might be my problem. I think because it's always presented in a negative light. It could be. Yeah, it could very well be. Especially now. Especially now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we should be influencers, but you're right. We should be influencers for Christ and not for ourselves or anything like that. I, I, so I get that. I get that. You know, those who are currently popular now, tomorrow will not be so popular. Because that's the way human fame works, isn't it? It's very fickle. Very fickle. Uh, Today's American Idol becomes tomorrow's forgotten nobody. I mean, I I always ask, um, you know, we kind of watch that American Idol. And so I always ask, well, whatever happened to so-and-so? Because isn't it funny, you know, they become American Idol and everybody makes big hoodoo, but two or three years ago from now, you don't hear anything about them. You just don't. You just don't. As Ecclesiastes 4.16 points out, the dead are always replacing the living. That's the same way with those who are popular. They're always being replaced with somebody else that's more popular. and more. It's a treadmill. It's a treadmill. They're all after that star on the walk. Now, how many of those stars have been replaced with somebody else's star? I read another article um, about uh, famous people. Uh, in this article... Um, you know, they're taking a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? An investigative look or an analytical look as far as fame is concerned. The article says, famous people describe a new relationship with the space around them. That tells me there's a disconnect, doesn't it? 
Instead of people, it's a space. So they're not really connecting with people, it's all about a space. Uh, So people describe a new relationship with the space around them as a component of learning how to live in a celebrity world. It's like fame defines you to a certain degree. It puffs you up or it shrinks you down. Being famous is variously described as leaving the person feeling lonely, not secure. You have a bubble over you, so there's that space. Uh, Family space is violated. A sense of being watched is violated. Uh, Living in a fishbowl, like in a locked room or being in a cage. Uh, A familiarity that breeds inappropriate closeness. So now I can understand what they mean about this space. They don't have any space. They don't have any space. The same article points out, yet while the celebrity experiences many negative side effects of fame, the allure of wealth, access, preferential treatment, public adoration, and as one celebrity put it, membership in an exclusive club keeps the famous person stuck in this perpetual need to feed their fame machine. One uh, famous uh, child star says, I've been addicted to almost every substance known to man at one point or another, but the most addicting of them all is fame. It becomes an addiction. It becomes an addiction. The article concludes, the, the lie that our culture has given, given unto us is that if I have fame, I will be enough. Our culture has placed fame above power and money because those things in our information social media culture that you pointed out, James, uh, all of this flows toward fame because everybody wants to be a YouTube celebrity or star. I mean, stop stop and think how many award ceremonies there is. I don't think... Is there one tonight? Yeah, you can't name them on the fingers of your hand. Because these fragile egos always need the accolades and the affirmations. That's the trap of human fame. That's the trap of human fame. A heart that pursues after fame will not pursue after Jesus Christ. Why is that? Look at me. (laughs) Look at me. They know nothing of what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Pastors and people who seek to be YouTube wonders and Instagram celebrities are all about seeking their own glory, increasing their own popularity, rather than living a life that glorifies God and reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that counters this vanity of human fame is seeking the affirmation that comes from the Lord rather than men. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We all want to be liked, right? Is there anybody here that doesn't want to be liked? You'd rather be detested and hated? And we all want to be loved, There's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. Absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. But be careful that 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 doesn't become your obsession. Because I have bad news for you. 
Not everybody's going to like you. And not everybody's going to love you. There's only one person that will always love you and like you, and that's Jesus Christ. You got that right. Something else that I've noticed uh, for many preachers and pastors, instead of being a preacher and a pastor, instead of it being a calling in a man's life, it's now become a career. They've turned it into a career. They're always pursuing that bigger church, that bigger congregation, that bigger ministry as a career. It's a, it's a step up that ladder rather than a calling of God. And you can tell in some of these ministries that's exactly what they're all about. It's like a business. They treat it like a business. Making money. Making money. So instead of treating it like a calling, they treat it like a career. Paul says in Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. It is a calling. You are called to serve the Lord Christ. It's not a career to fill your bank account or make you more famous or popular. It's a calling from God. Instead of looking to the Word of God to build the ministry, they look, they look to the marketplace. They look to the next gimmick. They look to the next business model to use in order to grow their church and increase their coffers. There used to be a saying, it's all about the nickels and noses. It's all about the nickels and noses. I'm not going to get done. <laughs> Surprise. I read an article um, called The Theology of Fame. It's kind of an interesting article. He says, The theology of fame is the idea that we are always improving, we're getting better and can get better. The more faith we have or the more work we put into our life, we will see the financial blessing, health protection, and progress. It's always about the progress of my Christian life. We're moving up and onward, and the design of God is this very purpose. The more we put in by faith and obedience, the more we give it to God, then the more God will bless us. The reason why it's called the theology of fame is that it's not for our own glory. The more that we are doing, the more we're advancing, it's pointing toward us. It's all about us. And if you visit any of the bookstores, you see a lot of all-about-me self-help books. Then he continues, he goes, the theology of the cross is the exact opposite of the the theology of fame. We are called into faith in Christ and service for Christ. We are called to die with him. Paul says in Philippians 2 that not only have we been called to believe, but also called to suffer for his sake. Let this mind be in you is what Paul wrote in, in, uh, in Philippians. And then he proceeds to describe the humiliation of Christ on the cross. He says, as we enter into this relationship with God, there is not a guarantee of our health being protected or our wealth being protected. Rather, we are told multiple times by Peter and Paul and the other writers of the, God, of the, of the New Testament that we are going to suffer for the sake of Christ. You see, multitudes of Christians are being taught to strive for the glory. 
and nothing is said about the accompanying suffering that comes with that glory. To strive only for the glory is not even biblical. What is it that Paul says? Yea, they who live godly shall what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the, yeah, even the biblical model of Jesus. Right? He suffered the cross before he experienced the glory. Why are we any different than he is? But yet, that's what's preached. Go for the glory. Go for the glory. And let's say nothing about the suffering. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know what the accolade is that I desire to hear? And I hope it's the same desire that you have. When I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, what I really hope comes out of, my, out of his mouth is this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well done, thou good and famous servant. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So the godly man of Proverbs in chapter 30 is requesting that God would keep him from that addictive draw of fame. Because he knows that will draw him away from God. And he wants to live his life to glorify God. And then finally, hopefully I'll have time to go through this. The human vanity of uh, the vanity of human insatiety. Now the word uh, satiate, thank you, is the quality of state of being fed or gratified beyond capacity. Kind of like what happens at Thanksgiving, right? Insatiety is the quality of state of never being satisfied. Never being full. There's always a longing and there's always an emptiness that is never filled up. That's the majority of mankind, but they don't understand what it is that they need to fill that hole. This vanity is closely associated with all these others. All these others, they all dovetail. I've mentioned that before. All of these human vanities dovetail. And the reason why they dovetail is because they're all without God. They're all without God. Hmm. Yeah, vanity and lies. They're all closely associated. Avarice and that enough is never enough. Right? With the additional travail of the realization that the enough one has doesn't satisfy. Right? J.D. Rockefeller, how much is enough? A little bit more. A little bit more. Always wanting more. Never full, never content. You know, for many, many, many people both lost and saved, they live a life subsisting on empty calories and no substance. Empty calories and no substance. 
They grapple with an appetite that is never satisfied, burdened by a desire that is never fulfilled, driven by a lust never completely pleased. Always grasping, always grasping. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says, When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saying the beholding of them with their eyes? You see, the lie is that if only I had enough money, or if only I had enough this, or only if I had enough that, then everything will be okay. But it's funny, the, you know, the more I make, the more I spend. And, there, and the more things show up for me to spend it on. Ecclesiastes 5.12 The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Again, the lie is, if I, if I just had enough money, I'd have peace of mind. If I had just enough money to pay my bills and to get this, and I, I'd have peace of mind. All my worries would be over. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. Ecclesiastes 5.13, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. If I had more, I'd be more secure. I'd be safer. I'd have need of nothing. I'd be secure. That's a lie. That's a lie. People never feel complete, so they attempt to find this complete in pursuing something they'll never get. Pursuing something they'll never get, that never satisfies. The alcoholic never gets enough drink. The clutton never gets enough food. The glory seeker never gets enough fame. More, more, more. Yeah, exactly. Proverbs 30, uh, verse uh, 15 through 16 says, There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not. It is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. You know, life for many people becomes a pursuit after one thing, after another thing, and in a vain attempt to catch that carrot on the string. If I can only get that carrot. And even if they get that carrot, guess what? There's another carrot. There's another carrot. I like what Ecclesiastes here, he says, What good is there to the owners thereof, saving, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? I watch a program, you guys might be familiar with it, called American Pickers. These guys go around the country to these various places and buy junk from people who collect junk. But you know what always amazes me? Is they'll show up at this individual's yard and it's just stuff full of rusting junk. And they'll offer to pay money for their junk and they can't let go of it. They cannot separate themselves relationally to this piece of rusting garbage sitting in their yard. And they still want more rusting garbage to fill their yard. Now, I used to be a stamp collector. 
there is no end to stamp collecting. <laughs> Just like there's no end to collecting cars, no end to collecting coins, no end to collecting anything. There's no end to it. I don't care what it is that you're going to collect. Because there's always something more to collect. It's a never-ending pursuit. And so people devote whole warehouses to stuff. One of the shows on American Pickers, this guy had a sauna set up in his warehouse. So at the end of the day, he could go soak in his sauna and look at his rusting stuff that he surrounded with. Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Never satisfied. Always reaching for that carrot on the string. Carrot on a string. Remember what the Proverbs, man in Proverbs 30 verse 9 says, he says, Least I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. He says, Just give me what I need and I'll be content. I'll be content. This godly man knows that the full soul loatheth a honeycomb. That this vanity of insatiability only leaves a person wanting more and more and more until they finally despair of life. They're surrounded by all this junk, but what good does this junk do them? The vanity of human wisdom does not have the answers we crave. Human labor is a ceaseless, pointless toil under the sun. Human rivalry pits one against another, promoting selfishness rather than love. Human avarice is always grasping for more and more. Human fame is fleeting and leaves the soul under, uh, under the sun unsatisfied. And then you never, never get that hole filled that's in your soul. That's life under the sun without God, folks. Sounds like a lot of fun, don't it? But yet there are millions and millions of people that live that way. The only thing that will fill that void is who? Jesus Christ. That's true for me, that's true for you, and that's true for the countless millions out there who are living under the sun. There was a time in my early days as a believer I fell into a group of people that was always seeking after a second blessing, whatever that was. They were always craving that next feeling of spiritual ecstasy, that next, that one more surge of spiritual power, that one more experience. And I recall how this group would make um, those of us who maybe have never experience what they they always try to make you feel inferior as though you're missing out on something so I went to my dear friend and I asked my dear friend I told him about this and after he listened to me he didn't say a word to me he did what he always did he took the bible he opened it up showed it to me and said, read this. Colossians 2.9 For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. 
And then he says to me, Brother Jeff, don't listen to them. God has supplied all we need in Jesus Christ who dwells within our hearts. He says, you don't need a second blessing because the first blessing is good enough. Jesus Christ is good enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30-31 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He fills that hole. He satisfies. He's everything that we need. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. Because it's a lie. It's vanity. People spend a lifetime in pursuit of fulfillment and this fulfillment will never be had unless Jesus has you. Does Jesus have you? Be satisfied in that. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. That's uh, one of the lines in that song. The name of the song is Jesus is all the world to me. Is that the theme of your life? Is he? Because he isn't. You'll never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that everything that we need is in him, that we are made complete in him, Father, and that he satisfies the very longings of our soul. May we, Lord God, take this wonderful message that you've given us, this wonderful hope, this wonderful satisfaction, and may we freely share it with those who need it so desperately. And Father in heaven, I pray for this upcoming Bible conference, Lord God, talk about involving ourselves into an investment that has an impact upon eternity. Lord God, we are so grateful and thankful that we're able to do so. May we, Lord God, put willing hands to your work. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.